0: Hello and welcome aboard the Galan Says Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, everyone who has left a rating, a review. I appreciate you so much. Like this one coming from Ben or just B3. Solid dude. Paul is a rare combination of sports geek and actual geek. Yeah. Love is Lord of the Ring references and general unabashed millennial humor. Well, one does not simply ramble for hours and hours without dropping some reference in about Gollum and the precious. And speaking of my precious, Tom Brady played against my favorite team on Sunday night. The game did not go as badly as I thought it would, but I am bummed out. I'll tell you why next. Let's go. I was just kind of curious what Paul gets to say. You are definitely living in the hindsight world today, Paul. You're mother you kidding me? Paul Gilan, what the hell is wrong with you? Ageism is a part of everything, right? It's a part of work. Let's be honest. For are getting up there in age, you might know more than somebody who is younger than you. You might be better than everything. At somebody who is younger than you, Are you going to work for cheap? Are you going to work long hours? Do you have fewer distractions than a young person who may or may not be outside of work, just going home, smoking the ganja, playing video games? There's a reason that when you get up there in age, people aren't going to likely hire you. You find yourself in a spot like your boy is right now. Ageism is a part of a dating game, right? I think that for some people, you look at those of a certain age and older, and you're like, Yeah, uh, I'm not feeling it. You might even say that for people who are younger, too. But ageism is a thing. Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll are two of the oldest coaches in the NFL. They're the last two coaches, by the way, of the New England Patriots. Pete Carroll's now with the Seahawks, of course. When you get up there in age, Pete Carroll's now 70, Bill Belichick's 69, going up against Bruce Arians this past Sunday, also age 69. And while you know that three of those guys are among the best coaches in the NFL, two of them being some of the best football coaches in history, Bill Belichick because of his dominance across pro football and Pete Carroll for making it happen both at USC and in the NFL with the Seahawks, there will come a point where those guys are not as effective as they once were. And I'm beginning to wonder about it. For both of them. Why do you say that about Pete Carroll, Paul? Well, Pete Carroll's defense, that's his bread and butter. Now, let's be honest, you can't have a good football team in this league without having some talented players, personnel, and Pete Carroll, of course, had that during the early days with the Legion of Boom. You got Richard Sherman, you got Earl Thomas, you've got some of, them, of those cornerbacks that they would just rotate in, whether it's Brandon Browner or it's Byron Maxwell, among others. But over time, and, and we're now on almost half a decade, you see a defense be a shell of itself. And you start to wonder, okay, does Pete Carroll's scheme still work the same way that it used to? To a lesser extent, I will ask the same question about Bill Belichick and his defense coming off of a very impressive Sunday performance, at least statistically, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that, of course, made it to the Super Bowl last year, that has Tom Brady playing some of the best football that we've ever seen him play. For the most part, they held Tom Brady in check in that game. But did they? One of the things that's really frustrated me watching Tom Brady in Tampa Bay has been that this guy's just receivers who, on paper, or according to fantasy football players, are so much better than anything that Brady had to deal with in New England the year before he moves on to Tampa. His receivers drop a lot of passes. Mike Evans, who's constantly complaining about something. Chris Godwin. Hell, even Antonio Brown, who dropped what should have been the game-clinching touchdown pass in that game. You see a lot of mistakes from... A team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you realize that that's probably the real reason that the game was as close as it was at the end. Sure, Bill Belichick knows some things that Tom Brady perhaps doesn't about Tom Brady, some ways as to how to play against him, but I think a lot of people might be walking away from that game thinking it was a draw, Brady versus Belichick. I think Brady played well. I think that Brady's receivers let him down, and that has happened, in my opinion, quite a bit in Tampa Bay. Those guys have to catch the football. So I I don't know that Belichick really did this impressive job that some people are maybe painting it out to be on Sunday. And then I think about some of the mistakes that this team has been making. 12th in total penalties this year, New England is. Tied, by the way, with the Seattle Seahawks. We're not surprised by penalties with Pete Carroll and the Seahawks, right? Especially delay of games. And you had one of your token delay of games this past Sunday against San Francisco. But eight for 77 from Bill Belichick a Bill Belichick coached team on Sunday. And that was worse than one of the worst teams in the NFL when it comes to committing penalties, the Buccaneers. Worse than them. Aren't Bill Belichick teams smarter than everybody? Generally, yes. Historically, yes. And that's why the old Patriots, with perhaps a more effective Bill Belichick, that team wins the game that took place on Sunday because they would not outscrew up the opposition, but they turned the ball over twice. They had more penalties than Tampa Bay, including a penalty on Matthew Slater, one of the most skilled special teamers that we've seen in the NFL over the last 20 years, where he's running out of bounds for like 30 yards before he comes back in bounds and blasts the ball out with his helmet. Matthew Slater's been playing forever. That's a Matthew Slater problem, but if he's making a mistake like that at this point in his career, but Belichick, And this Patriots team have not looked like teams of old. They have not looked like the smartest guys in the room, which they always seem to be. Even if they were boring, you knew that they weren't going to screw up. And that can't be all gone because of Tom Brady. Part of that has to be because Bill Belichick's message is perhaps not quite hitting the same way that it did. And then you bring in all these new players that you did in the offseason. Matthew Judon's been great for them. But at tight end, Jonu Smith, at tight end, Hunter Henry, those guys, are, are they really giving you a whole lot? Nelson Aguilar, do you see him much out there? Kendrick Bourne occasionally is giving you things, but it's mostly been Jacoby Myers, a guy that you brought in yourself that's been the most effective receiver for New England. Then go back to the Seattle Seahawks this year, 2-2, two and two, New England 1-3. Seattle has been punting a lot in the situations that we think that they should be aggressive. And you know that Pete Carroll was called Big Balls Pete when he was at USC. Is Michael Dixon so good that you were going to, in certain situations, fourth down and short, you're just going to punt it every single time? And by the way, the Seahawks lead the NFL in touchbacks this year. The Patriots, by the way, are second on that front. What's going on there? What is going on there? Punting is clearly not giving you the advantage that you think it is going to, at least from a field position perspective, if you have four touchbacks already. And on top of that, what defense do you have that is going to be able to back things up the way that you envision it can? I really don't know what to make of the Seahawks' victory on Sunday because I think things really changed when Jimmy Garoppolo went down. Trey Lance, who is athletic and quick and mobile and all sorts of exciting things for San Francisco in the future, is pretty inaccurate, at least at this point, and didn't seem to have a very good command of the offense. But San Francisco dominated that first half. Seattle didn't have its first down until about 4 minutes and 10 seconds left in the second quarter. And look, Seattle deserves credit for having won the game, but over the course of that one, it's Wilson Wilson again doing it all by himself. Nine touchdowns, zero interceptions to start the year, and look, he's getting sacked a lot. Six most times sacked in the NFL. I think it's 11. Some of those sacks are probably on him, but some of those sacks are definitely on an offensive line in front of him. And it just makes me wonder if Russell Wilson is going to want to stick around here next year when you're seeing all these guys around on the Seahawks, in particular, Sidney Jones, who was awful in this game. How the hell did you blow that wheel as badly as you did? You got to wonder if you're Russell and thinking to yourself, look, I'm I'm, I'm a great quarterback and I'm looking at at least what I've seen through the first four weeks of the year, right or wrong, I'm not feeling great. I'm not feeling like this team around me, is particularly smart, whether they're bickering amongst themselves against the Minnesota Vikings or just missing out on routine assignments. San Francisco handed Seattle this game so many mental mistakes on special teams. You had the muffed kickoff. How the hell do you muff a kickoff? You had another play where the kick returner let the ball bounce on the back goal line and it bounced forward. So you also have bad field position there. You had a punter who is your field goal kicker in the game because Robbie Gould hurt his groin. You had so many things that went your way in this game. You only won by eight. Now, of course, San Francisco got that last touchdown in what was mostly garbage time, but you weren't very impressive. You looked dumb at times. And that's one of the, that's one of the most frustrating things about the Pete Carroll era of, of late. You know, that coaching style of his is great for people with big personalities. But when you don't have these massive personalities in the locker room the same way that you used to, then what's the advantage of being perhaps a little bit loosey-goosey out there and having the every-single-game-delay-of-game penalty or being tied with the Patriots for 12th in the NFL in penalties? Pete Carroll, 70. Bill Belichick, 69. Back to Belichick. It's a fourth-and-three game. You got about a minute left, and you know that if you get that 56-yard field goal at the end of the game, you have the lead, But Tom Brady's going to have plenty of time to march down the field and get the Buccaneers in field goal range himself. Fourth and three, 56 yards, it's raining. Why are you kicking that field goal? That is the kind of head-scratching decision that I've seen made by Pete Carroll from time to time. I'm seeing it now being made by Bill Belichick. You're seeing signs of both of these coaches losing their fastball. That's concerning because those two were supposed to be an edge for you. You can't say that they really are that edge, that advantage for their two respective teams at least four weeks into the 2021 NFL season that you normally have been able to. Speaking of advantages, all of baseball used to have an edge, an advantage on the Seattle Mariners. That's a good transition. I'm really curious as to what's next for the Mariners because i want to know what they evaluate this season as i'm hoping that the separation between business operations john stanton in charge of the team and jerry dePoto now president of baseball operations i hope there is a very clear divide and that the only input that john stanton has is the ability to give jerry dePoto and the mariners a check i'm hoping that check is a blank one. And I I would assume that Jerry DiPoto would be responsible with whatever moves that the Mariners make this offseason in the coming weeks. But if you're John Stanton and you sit back and this team constantly doubted was in a chase for the playoffs all the way to the last game of the season, do you look at this as a resounding success? Do you say to yourself, yeah, I like where we're at. They better fucking not. What the Mariners did this year was improbable. They are young. There are reinforcements on the way. We will see guys like Julio Rodriguez and Noel V. Marte and George Kirby and Emerson Hancock over the next couple of years. Hopefully, we'll see all of them next year in the major leagues playing for the M's. But last year shouldn't be nothing more than a stepping stone. And the Mariners have to look at this past season and say, we overachieved. And There's nothing wrong with saying that. I'm not telling the players to say that to themselves. They should believe. I know they were trying to make that a thing over the last couple of games of the year. See it all over the seats. Really cool to see Rick Riz putting those on on top of some of the seats at T-Mobile Park. But if you're the Mariners, you can't go into next year thinking that this was such a success that you can just continue to build slowly. You've created expectations for yourself. And when you come that close to making the playoffs for the first time in 20 years, you got to kick the door down, and you got to do it in a responsible way. And I'm not saying, hey, go sign Robinson Cano. Go sign some aging veteran and, and hope that the guy ends up panning out. I'm saying, though, that... You can't sit back and say, yep, this was a good year and we're just going to move on. I'll take a look at Boston right now. The Red Sox and the Red Sox are going to play in that play-in game with the New York Yankees. The Red Sox at one point had the best record in the American League. And (laughs) I mean, on the last game of the year, they're playing for their playoff lives. And I doubt that Boston looks at themselves in the mirror and says that this season was anything other than a success, despite having that kind of a collapse where they almost blew it at the end of the year. I don't think they're going to put any more pressure on themselves from this season going into 2022. I hope that the Mariners do. Expectations should be higher from this fan base. This year, all gravy, right? Every single game that they won, and probably every single chance that they had to put themselves in playoff contention, you weren't expecting it. You're fine with it. It has to be the expectation next year for the fans, but also for the ownership. And ownership better be aggressive. Because if they think to themselves, hey, we can just settle and have this borderline playoff product, they're going to be sadly mistaken. So uh, my ask of John Stanton is to... Very critically evaluate the team this offseason. It already seems like Kyle Seeger's gone. I'm not sure that's the best idea, given all the production that he gave you, the offense that he gave you this past season. I wonder if next year it could be Mitch Hanniger's last season with the team. Like There are a lot of questions that I have about the team going forward, and, and I hope that they are aggressive in saying, we're going to try to keep as many of our good pieces as we can, but we're also going to make a big play this offseason, and it's not going to cut it anymore to say that we were involved in these conversations. No, fuck that. That doesn't matter. You actually have to bring somebody in. And I'm hoping that it's a starting pitcher. Off the top of my head, I don't know the guys who were available. You guys know I'm not a baseball coconut. But there are higher expectations now, and John Stanton better share those same high expectations that we now have for the Mariners going forward. That's going to wrap up this quickie edition of the Gallant Says Podcast. I appreciate everybody who has been aboard from the get-go on this. I have been traveling a lot and also at the same time doing things on the side that will hopefully gain me employment in the near future. But I don't know if that's actually going to be the case. What I do know is that I really appreciate everybody who has been sticking around for these. They will be longer. They will be better and they will be paired with new content on Twitch, on YouTube, and on my website in the near future. We're getting very, very close to feeling like we can actually launch this thing officially. But I really much appreciate, very much appreciate everybody who has been sticking around. In the meantime, as I just said a little bit before, so long, farewell. We'll be back at it with another podcast on Friday after a Seahawks-Rams Thursday night football game. Let's go.